ได้ไหมฮะตายเพื่อแรงกระเซิร์ดที่ผลิตหลายของแอนิมัลส์ที่ผลิตหลายของแอนิมัลส์ที่ผลิตหลายของแอนิมัลส์ที่ผลิตหลายของแอนิมัลส์
I was shown cattle the rest of my life, Hollinger said. Of the new statue forever commemorating her as a symbol of Worth County 4-H, Hollinger said, I don't think words can express how I feel. Why I hope of what what I hope comes of this to inspire other young people to enter 4-H. I want the kids to realize what an opportunity 4-H can be for them. And that article was from June 18, 2014. So anyways, I'm glad that Chloe Yoder sent that in to me. Uh, truly an amazing article for someone like me that had no idea that your family had won the 1954 Chicago International uh, tie. But it's also a very good kind of jumping off point in terms of our conversation here today. Yeah, it's a pretty interesting story, but part of it, uh, the steer never won the state fair. He was third in class at the state fair, but... Leave it to these city reporters to mess stuff up. How about that, Ty? The money from from the steer wasn't in there. I mean, you know, it just uh, makes a good story, but I think the sure. steer brought like uh, 15000 and sure. uh, it was probably... Oh, four or five years later when we, Dad sold his farms. He had a couple of farms up in Iowa, and he sold them and bought the ranch sure. down here in Missouri. But Well, I don't know how many more of these podcasts you'll do, Ty, so I'm glad that you're setting the record straight. Well, I, yeah, I know, and then they, they want to keep them stories pretty interesting, too. So, kind of like the National Enquirer. Which, which <laughs> most of it was right. You bet, you bet. But, Chuck, are you in here yet? Yes. Chuck Chuck McCullough from Southern Iowa has agreed to kind of sit in on the show. I'm just a 40-year-old rookie, but uh, Ty being 82, he has just a lifetime of uh, experiences, and we want to try to jam as many of those highlights in as possible. So I've asked Chuck to sit in on this conversation, much like Kevin Mears did with the Ryman Ranch and Maybe Curtis Reed did with uh, John Griswold's interview from a couple of nights ago. We're, that story brings us to 1954-55 time region. Uh, I guess one question that I would have, Ty, is, is, like, when is the Chicago International? That's the show that expired in the mid-'70s. Uh, they said that you showed your cast at the county fair and state fair, which was correct, but you didn't win the state fair. But then how long did you have to feed that thing until it was – Time to go to the Chicago International. Well, we kept him from the state fair, which was in August still. Late November, it was always over Thanksgiving time when we when we went to Chicago. Okay. So it was latter yep. part of November. You bet. And I guess, uh, you know, I guess, I mean, in the modern day with Sullivan Supply and and uh, femininity in some of these products, you have to worry about cattle getting too stale over a four- or five-month time period. But, I mean, I think maybe a good place to start would be, was there 100 calves at your county fair, 200? And then, like, how many might there be at the state fair? And then how many might there be at Chicago International? Well, at the international is a different deal. And they might have been, like, in every class, 60 to 70 calves in a class. At Chicago, sure. but it, like the state fair, I'm going to guess probably 20 to 30. You said that the facility 
was on the southwest side of Chicago. Is that is that what your memory is that right? Is that your memory? Yeah, yeah, they were out by the old stockyards. And then yeah. I mean, this is also a dumb question from a dumb person named Matt Lautner, but did you have to bring those cattle in by train or did you go by truck at that point? Well, a lot of cattle in them days, the, especially the western herds, come in by rail. A lot like, oh, there'd be several strings of them cattle come in from out west, and the herdsmen would ride to ride the cars with the cattle. And uh, but we we ours went out there by truck, just a straight awesome. truck. I mean, can you imagine just thinking about the modern day, thinking about going to Denver or Louisville or whatever whatever it may be. And having to get your cattle loaded up into a train car, that is amazing. Amazing. Just, you know, yeah, just a different time. Yeah, ride for, ride them rails for that far. I mean, you know it took several days to get there from as far west as a lot of them cattle came. So, yeah, it would yeah. be awesome, you know. But I have rode multiple times, probably two or three times whenever I was in anywhere from middle, like elementary school up to high school. I rode the train from Creston, Iowa, out to Denver Stock Show because it was a cheap economical option to get to Denver. I mean, way way cheaper than flying back in the day, I guess. That would have been in the 1990s. So I have a, a little bit of experience with a train ride. Uh, darn sure not like you're describing, though, for sure. But uh, Well, I, we never haul cattle that way. Ours was always e either in the back of a pickup or a straight truck. Uh, yep. Back in them days, there weren't stock trailers. And yeah. another thing, Matt, you didn't have to fill your trailer half or two-thirds two full <laughs> of shore equipment. You had a little box, you had a feed sack <laughs> and a bale of hay, and, and if you was lucky, you might have had a box fan, but uh, that was it. Awesome. You just made a little rack on the top of the pickup to haul your equipment. <clears throat> Uh, you, you, you didn't even have blower back then, did you? <laughs> you, you watch cattle in Chicago, and uh, you can imagine in November how cold it is, and and you brushed them dry. If you had a little fan, you was lucky. Uh, I can remember when the very first blowers come out, everybody would laugh at them, you know, and, and it was at Chicago up there at one of them uh, you know, exhibits, and, and someone had one of them. Uh, box blowers on wheels, and j people just go by and laugh at him, you know. And why hell, <clears throat> you could have been a billionaire by now if you'd have known everything that was going to happen in the, you know, ahead of time. But absolutely, <clears throat> that's awesome. I mean, uh, Chucky, do you have any uh, specific questions about the Chicago International? No, it's just the blower deal. I knew they hadn't had it, and the trucking deal. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That it, it wasn't in the uh, part of town. It wasn't in it the was pretty rough, town. pretty rough neighborhood. <laughs> right, I don't doubt it. I, I mean, just my personal story would be they've since canceled the state fair, but uh, they uh, I went to the Michigan State Fair in the early 2000s, and it might have been mid 2000s, 2008, 2009, and it was in Detroit. And the road that you got off on was eight mile road. Now, I'm, I'm sure that you guys have never heard of this, but eight mile is a, is a movie with Eminem in it. And it's kind of a, 
gangster movie. Well, to get to the Michigan State Fairgrounds in the year 2008 or 9, you had to get off on Eight Mile Road, which is the road that this movie was taking place in. You judged the Michigan State Fair, right? Uh, the Fat Steers, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. That's been, I think, uh, a friend of mine rode out there with me. Uh, I think so. Chucky McCullough. <laughs> oh, did you? There you go. What, yeah. what year was that been, boys? Oh, yeah. We we got lost here a time or two, and this <laughs> cop pulls his gun out on us. It was, must have been pretty rough <laughs> part of town. Oh, <laughs> That's crazy. Uh I mean, what what time frame would that have been? Nineties or two thousands or when? Yeah, it would have been. Uh, oh gosh, what in year? Late nineties, probably the mid nineties, right in there, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, probably that is... early two, probably early two thousands. Okay, so let's go back to the fifties, sixties, and seventies real quick. The difference between preparation in that time period even up to the 80s maybe, was truly different than any sort of preparation that you're doing now in terms of getting these cattle ready. And I I think that I've heard, and Chucky, I want you to weigh in on this, that the introduction to the two-speed and his clippers from the days of the big shears is kind of like the tipping point for when we went from Stone Age presentation or whatever you want to call it. I'm not trying to put down anything that happened before that, but like... uh, that, that, what, what do you say the two-speed clippers where they're just a little handier to use and, and more universal uh, was the difference between how the cattle used to be presented and how they're presented a little bit more today or whatever? What would you say, Chucky? Oh, yeah. I mean, but it goes back to even like if you tie when you used to take them like to Chicago, um, like we work the hair to be straight now, but back then you used them liners, correct? And well, then back, let them dry to get them wavy, wasn't it? Well, maybe the breeding cattle, but but the but the steer end of it. Uh, by Chicago time, they had enough hair. You just brought it up straight. But you did all your clipping back then <clears throat> with a pair of sheep shears and scissors. It wasn't. You didn't have. Uh, I mean, if you clipped that back down with a, uh, a pair of. A pair of clippers like they do today, you'd look so much out of place that that people would all over the barn and walk by to look at them. <laughs> but it was just a pair of scissors. And I mean, when we started showing, I think I was 11 years old. We showed at the county fair and had never showed cattle in our life. And uh, I think Dad used to buy a lot of cattle out of North Missouri, and, and we'd feed four or five hundred head, and that's where the steer that. When Chicago come from? I had at 11 years old. You you would have been 1951 time frame, approximately, correct? Probably, yeah. Probably yep. I won the Northwood County Fair oh, a couple of times, and then Jan won it in '54, and I won the state fair in '58. That was a steer I I, I just have. I don't even know if Dad knew it or not, but I kept him over uh, two years. I I can remember the old timers sitting back. I used to like to sat back when I was a kid and listened to Dad talk to the old boys that showed a lot. Uh, I think the guy's name that was herdsman for Iowa State uh, showed a steer when he was uh, for two years, you know, and they won Chicago with him. And Anyway, I kept this cap over another year and, and 
won the state fair with him. So yeah. kind of an interesting deal, different different program today. Back then, Matt, a, a big steer weighed a thousand pounds. Uh, it's just, yeah, that's what you were saying you know, earlier. Oh, that the in the article that I read earlier, it said that his name was Shorty, which uh-huh. probably, I mean, I guess would be a reference to his uh, height and not his breed because he looks like an Angus steer. But uh, I guess uh, back then, 800 to 1,000 pounds would have been the average of the norm, and you said maybe this deer was 1,050. Is that right? This one, this one weighed 1030, and he was considered big. Yep. <clears throat> most of them, most of them would weigh in the nines, I think, Matt. But yep. uh, yeah. So just uh, to put it in modern perspective, a 1300 to 1400 pound would be the norm now, but back then. What would the range be? Eight fifty to a thousand, or eight fifty to nine fifty, or what do you think it was back 850 then? Eight fifty to nine seventy-five, I'd say, would be the range. Uh, but yep. eight fifty would be a little smaller. But but I'd say from nine to nine seventy. Yeah. Right yeah. in there. I mean, that's truly amazing how that just that the weight has has came on about three four hundred pounds over the years. So. Um, just have a few notes written down here, and I don't want to skip over anything. If you haven't want to offer anything, you're sure welcome to. But the bull total play that that was the sire of D bull is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Just talk about. I mean, we're talking. These are the two bulls leading into when Brad Hook discovered TH and Heat Seeker. <laughs> I mean, uh, total total play. <laughs> Excuse me. I got to giggle a second. Uh, total play D bull then Heat Seeker. And total play and D-Bull are your bloodlines, correct? Uh, well, total play, I did not own him. Uh, I got you. There were three people. I think Black Champ, Black Champ Farms raised him, but uh, uh, total play was uh, uh, probably, I think he was probably a half or three-eighths Angus, I believe. I don't know for sure. Can you put the rest on diesel out here? Or, or half, <laughs> probably half or three-eighths Keonina. I said that wrong. Uh, yep. That's all right. And then, like, uh, here's my personal story about D-Bull, and you can tell me if my memory is incorrect. But I think the story goes, didn't he have a hurt leg? Or Mark Copas bought him for a steer, and he hurt his leg, so he had made a bull out of him or something along those lines? Well, he, I don't know at what age he hurt his leg, but, uh, no, uh, <laughs> we left him a bull pretty much on purpose. Uh, he got his leg hurt a little later in life. Uh, uh-huh. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I <clears throat> I know the first time we collected semen on him, when he jumped the cow, he kind of fell over backwards because the cow was bigger, and he was fairly young, and he got a leg hung up in the fence, and they had to pull they had to pull the leg back real far to get him back up and i i seriously think that's when he hurt his leg just tell me d bull's pedigree and then your thoughts on him as a baby calf you like liked him exceptionally well from the beginning or just just tell me from the yeah, beginning was, like i don't know he was a stick out from from the day you know the day yep. i first seen him did, did copas have anything to do with that story or am i am i did i mishear that yeah mark had him down there for a while and then he brought him back up here this is this shows how real the old MLC the big show is. Is I'm actually fueling up with diesel, dropping some cows off at pasture right now. <laughs> well, yeah, good. I apologize. Not apologize. Much, is it? 
Oh my God! $100, $100, $100, and I got 19 gallons worth of fuel. Talk about, hey, I don't know how you feel, Ty, but I got, I got to say this one time, and I'll edit it out if you don't want me to. FJB, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. FJB. <laughs> yeah, you can say it several more times, but that, yeah. it, it, it's just, uh, I don't know. Uh, Unfortunately, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, we we need to make plans to get rid of the guy, but or this country won't. But. You know, it 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 this country's changed about as much as the cattle business has, but it's changed over three or four years or fourteen or, months, or two, yeah. and it's yeah. taken generations for the cattle business to change. But uh, changed a lot in fourteen months since that dumbass got in there. Chucky, quickly and briefly, give me your thoughts on how good Debo was since Ty's so modest. Oh. History in the show steer deal, though. I mean, he was popular for a lot of years. Yeah, I mean, how many years was it from introduction until the bull heat seeker kind of got to rolling a little bit? Oh, I would say, what would you say, Chuck? Probably five years. I was going to say five or six, anyhow, yes. Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, Total Play had a lot of of success kind of during. Uh, but the semen kind of went, uh, ran out on total play pretty quick in his life. So, uh, but he had, he would have had a big influence in the industry, or he did sure. anyway, but, but his semen was, the quality wasn't good. Memory, was total play, uh, clingable? Did Tom own him? Uh, Tom bought part of him, Dale Blankenship, and, uh, I don't know who else owned, owned part of him. Yep. Uh, and then D-Bull, I know we're skipping back and forth here real quick, but D-Bull, did you own him by yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. And you worked with Coover and some other semen companies, or who did you sell semen through? And anybody that wanted to buy it, if they bought a volume, I just sold it at a little cheaper rate. Yep. But we had him collected what, as a Hawkeye. And what was the price of uh, D-Bull semen back in the day? I think, uh, you know, I've about forgot probably $20, 15 or 20 And just to tell the full history, how we got Heat Seeker, which then leads to Heat Wave and then leads to Monopoly and then leads to some of these other deals. Uh, uh, heat Seeker himself was a D-Bull back on a purebred showhorn cow. Is that right? Yeah, that's the way I understand it. What was the name of that breeder in Southern Iowa? That, their name escaped me. Uh, do you know Chucky? Uh, Vince, um, Graham, Vince Graham, Graham, right? Yep. Vince Graham. Yep. You bet. Yep. Yeah. So congrats to Vince Graham. I don't know if they raised exclusively club calves or exclusively show horns, but they got this D-Bull purebred show horn cross. And then that leads into Larry Campbell from Indiana coming in and buying the bull and giving Brad Hook a third. Yep. So that leads to Heat Seeker and he has a heck of a good run. Uh, maybe... You know, I, I just think as you're, I mean, that cross, the D-Bull Showhorn cross is what in, introduced TH into the business. And, yeah, that brings us current to today because you probably can't, you know, outside of a, a small handful of bulls, you can't probably get that consistent big boned and hairy look without the the TH injected into them somewhere. So, I mean, I mean, this yeah, is just like the genesis, the genesis of the modern show steer. If we're talking about a biblical equation or a comparison here, this is 
Jesus nailed up on the cross. Nothing was the same before that, and nothing has been the same since that. If this is where we are today with TH, is because of this cross right here from Tyrone Hollinger, his D-Bull cross back on a purebred show orange cow, and, and that brings us TH. So, uh, yeah, pretty amazing. And uh, congrats to Mr. Hook for discovering TH. Almost like Christopher Columbus back in the day. He discovered that THD. Uh, through the years, you had uh, some sales in Texas, and also you took a lot of pins of cattle to Denver, as well as the Arizona National, and that's where I would have met you in the late 90s, the early 2000s. Uh, down there in Arizona National, my old man was taking a group down there. And uh, could you just talk uh, briefly about any of your Texas sales or Denver sales or, or Phoenix? Well, probably one of the biggest things was when we started our sales in Texas. I mean, we would have, you know, maybe 80 to 100 head we'd take down. We'd pack up the kids and and the dog and Everything else, we'd be down there for about oh eight or ten days, so it was always quite a quite a trip, you know. But uh, <clears throat> that was we'd have two sales a year, but but our big sale was the one in Texas. And I guess I don't want to glance over anybody, Chucky. You might be able to help tell this story. You have had some <laughs> of the most influential clippers of the business in the last thirty, forty years. Help you. Maybe a Kirk Sturwald or a Tracy Gretzker or a Jake Campbell or a Chuck McCullough. I mean, uh, did you have a favorite? Was one of them better than the rest of them? <laughs> you know, Matt, it's kind of like these bulls. They're all pretty yep. damn good. Yeah, let me give you a quick comparison, and this is a funny one. I got, like, a guy by the name of Shane Sturgeon and a guy by the name of Kenny Neville. You probably know him or have heard of him. And then I got a guy named Josh Greiner. Now, I would take Kenny Neville or, or Shane Sturgeon over Josh Greiner simply because Greiner's a grumpy old sucker. Gosh, he gets grumpy sometimes. So uh, <laughs> I'm not trying to put anyone down, but I just didn't know if you had a, a funny story about any of your elite clipping talent through the years. Oh, not really. I, I've i had guys help me clip. I even had Dwayne Hilbert help me show a pin of three at Mason City then when he was a kid before he ever – started showing so that tells you how long i've been in the business <laughs> there you <laughs> go there you go too long but that's yeah, amazing I, it's all of them all of them were pretty good people and and damn good at what they do absolutely and obviously i just have to the, tell you you know ty helped me um you know yep. i helped him quite a few years but taught me a lot you know of mm-hmm. just improving in that i could you know him and Laverne and them when I started in that and you know help you know kind of set your eye on what you needed to do in that between you two and I'm going to shut my mic off Kevin in the control room will shut me down but uh, just interact briefly about Laverne Maspin I mean unfortunately we didn't get this podcast made while Laverne was still here but just in terms of memorial or just talking about a legend of the southern Iowa and northern Missouri circuit I mean, just just briefly talk about Laverne's, uh, maybe a cap or two that he sold through the years that did win. I know there was that Baldy in the mid-90s. Just just give some backstory on Laverne Masters since he's no longer here to tell it himself. Well, Jackie was around him a lot more than I was, but Laverne, <laughs> Laverne always had a good eye for 
putting a pin of calves together and 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 kind of kind of looking at one and seeing how he would end up like after he was set uh, out or or haired up yep. good and so on and so forth. But Chucky helped yeah. him uh, quite a bit. He would know a lot more than me. <laughs> spent quite a few years with Laverne um, doing them sales. One thing I would say about Laverne, I'm like, Ty, he could pick one out for, you know, to be able to turn out as a fat steer and see it that way. And like at Baldy, he always told, you know, Tracy and I, we all three go around and look at them calves and pick them out. And, um, you know, he said that one there is going to turn out. And it, and it did, you know, one of the first ones for you to win the expo and then the state fair. And I guess one thing I'd say about Laverne, you know, he was always, I mean, he, 90% of the time we was always laughing and having fun over there working, getting calves ready. But he really enjoyed selling to them Missouri families, and he always enjoyed that Missouri State Fair and had a heck of a good run of winning that thing yeah. quite a few years in a row in that. Yeah. Yep. Nope, that's good. I mean, uh, he darn sure had a very good eye and I, for the people that are just getting into this deal i know that we have a broad audience some are what i call industry insiders and some are just on the fringe trying to get excited about showing cattle i mean you can have the best clipper in the world and it doesn't matter if you can't get them fed right you can't get them uh shown right but most importantly if you don't have uh the right calf to begin with all decisions made after that day, there's nothing that's going to get you caught back up if you don't start with one that's close enough to ideal uh, in terms of your selection process. So the the selection is darn sure important, and people like Ty and Laverne and yourself, Chuck, uh, have a special eye when it comes to evaluating the two. And the, and the reason I can say that is you've made a career out of it. Those that don't have that good eye, guess what happened to them? They're in the soup line, baby. They're working at McDonald's. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I'd say about both Ty and Laverne, you know, there's quite a few years I was helping them both in that. And uh, Tracy and I, we ran around together. But one of them take a pin to Kansas City and the other one to Louisville, and we'd fly. But there was quite a few years they was grand or reserve in both of them majors when them pin shows had, you know. Uh, yeah. 30-some pins in them, both of them, in that, you know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the other thing I'd say they both quoted, I would never will forget, both of them said this, when it was sale day on their calves and that, and when we, especially when we were together and that, that they'd say, eat up, boys, this is your last good meal you guys will probably ever see. And, you know, a lot of them yeah. good steers, uh, not to put anybody down, and I'm I'm just not saying that they didn't care, but, a lot of people were inexperienced like like I we were when we started out, but uh you could about tell if you had a good steer if he was gonna be competitive uh, a year from then or or if he was gonna be forgot about. <clears throat> but, I mean uh everybody's got to earn their stripes or, or learn how to get one right in terms of getting them fed correctly and and sometimes those people that are the novice feeder level in year one, if you start a relationship and sell them year after year, my gosh, by the time their kids are graduating out, you're sad to see them go because they're that premier feeding family at that point after getting mm-hmm. several years of experience. So 
whether you're just new or, or been in it 40 or 50 or 60 years, like Tyrone Hollinger, uh, that, that's probably something that he's glanced upon. I mean, there's just, you never stop learning in the cattle deal. I mean, every day I learn something new. And uh, thanks for on the day that I interviewed Tyrone Hollinger, I'm learning a lot of old stories that I didn't know previous. So I'm learning quite a bit today. Well, I'll, I'll just say one thing, Matt. <clears throat> it don't make any difference. You've got to like what you're doing. <clears throat> and if you're going to be competitive, you got to spend a lot of time after dark, after the day's over, working on cattle or whatever. And if you're going to do that, you got to like, you got to be hungry enough to want to win, and you got to like it to work that hard to do it. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and like no Chuck and me both, I can speak for me anyway. But but we always enjoyed working around livestock. Yep. You know, it just it it's always uh, a little bit of a reward to see how much better you can make one with with some little bit of ma- management. You know. Whatever and it's just like you, Matt. You, you spent lots of hours after dark clipping and working on cattle and, and breaking them and so on and so forth. Whatever it takes, yeah. you know exactly what we're talking about as well as anybody. Oh, yeah. yeah, you've got to instill in them kids, too, that <clears throat> them judges only average looking at a calf in the ring maybe yeah. 30, 40 seconds to a minute. And every yeah. time they look at him, you want him to be looking his best. So they got to be well broke to start with. Uh, once again, I don't. if there's anything we missed, please, one of you uh, speak up. But the next thing on my shot sheet was, uh, uh, Ty, could you please tell me the story of meeting your wife at the American Royal? <laughs> well, I just, I don't know uh, what to tell you. I, were you a were you a were you a Casanova type back in the day, Ty? I mean, did you have any woman that you wanted, and you chose her, or did she choose you? Oh, I think pretty much she chose me. You know how it goes. <laughs> no, no, I, I don't know, Matt. Go ahead. I'll tell you what, you'll right. you'll have to ask Bud Sloan about that. Bud likes to likes to. Right I don't know. I don't know. I don't know no Bud Sloan. I want to know you. Oh. I only know you. Well, I should say. No, I tell you what. She she was working there at, at the American Royal, and and I think she seen me and just couldn't stay away. You uh-huh. know, no, cool. not really. She was she was a good looking gal and good personality, and and I was just pretty lucky that I could uh, uh, bumfoozle her into uh, taking up with me. I'm still, I still got my wife fooled, uh, 13 years into our marriage, and, uh, by golly, she still thinks I'm a pretty nice guy. Can you believe that, Ty? Well, she's a pretty smart girl, isn't she? I think I got the wool over her eyes, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, you've you done a good job, Matt, I'll tell you that. And Chucky has, sure. too. I mean, you know, yeah. look, at, look at what Karen has to put up with. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, sir. Absolutely, that's awesome. Uh, it, it's it's been lots of fun, and I, I the friends I've made over the oh over life, but ever since we've been showing cattle, I mean, there's old timers like Lyle, people I used to look up to when I like Lyle Miller. He wasn't that much older than me, but 
but just always super good at what he done and and Kenny Idle and yeah. Chuck Simons and all those people that that you you oh, yeah. watch them and and see how they what they do just like Chucky said you watch people and see what they do and different ideas and and you learn from it but uh I've made a lot of good I would friends say, I would say uh just a personal story and this goes this can go pretty much with anything on the show cattle deal, but I didn't really know Tracy Gretzka as I was growing up. Uh, but uh, in the early 2010s, uh started to have a little bit of success with a bull called Monopoly, and I would generally go down to Tracy's every spring and take a look and fry bowls off of them, I guess. And what I'm trying to say is, is uh, you would think that a person with Tracy Gretzky's level of success he might have just a little bit of ego or whatever you want to call it, but just like Tyrone Hollinger, just like Chuck McCullough, and just like Laverne Maston, I mean, there is no no more salt-of-the-earth person than Tracy Gretzka just in the way that he handles himself and the interaction that he has with you. And that's not unique to Tracy. I mean, he's he's a dang good guy, but that would go mm-hmm. the same deal with you and, and Chuck and Laverne. I mean, you're just you had a lot of success. But you're you're just true and you're real underneath it. You're genuine. Yeah, you're genuine. Well, well thanks for the compliment. But just be honest with people is the main thing, you know, yeah. when you're doing business. Yep. <clears throat> but uh, like the young guys coming up, I I really get a kick out of seeing a young guy get ahead and do good. I, I mean, some people uh, are just the opposite, but. I like to see them do good and, and get ahead. It's just a part of life, and I enjoy watching that part. <clears throat> uh, I do really want to thank you, Ty, and you, Chuck, for taking the time to do this because, I mean, you are 82 years old, and I think you're going to live to be 110, but I'm just glad that we got this uh, story down where your kids and grandchildren will be able to reference it back as well as other history buffs of the show cattle deal just like myself. So thank you very much for taking the yep. time. Well, I appreciate the chance, and thank you for the compliment. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I thank you, Chuck. It. Thank you, Ty. Yep. See it. Yep. Thank you, Matt. Yep. We'll see you. Chuck, be careful.